Hey, dickheads! Beaming from San Diego, California, straight to your brain hole, we've got a special bonus interview today. I'm not sure if we're in the same universe as we're recording this, as you are listening. But we have somebody who can explain the science of multiverses to us. Yes, world-famous cosmologist and Nobel uh, runner-up. Brian Keating from the University of California, San Diego. He's not a dickhead himself, but he is an expert on multiverses. Hopefully it'll give you some more background when you're reading books like Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said, or Man in the High Castle, which definitely deal with the themes of multiverses. So dickheads, strap on your science hats and dive into this discussion of multiple universes. Okay, um, hello dickheads. We have a very special guest today. Um, Brian Keating is a professor of cosmology from right here in San Diego, UC San Diego. We're going to talk about his work in a little bit, but Brian, can you tell us, um, your, how your relationship to science fiction? Well, I was uh, very deeply influenced by science fiction authors who also write science, uh, that is, science nonfiction, <clears throat> and in particular, Isaac Asimov and by Arthur C. Clarke. They were my two biggest influences uh, growing up. Yeah, Isaac Asimov was my first, too, my first love. So yeah. uh, the, lucky, even, the, yeah. luck, the lucky star books were what got me started when I was a little, little kid. Yeah, I, I liked uh, a lot of his science fiction, and but mostly his uh, science nonfiction really just thrilled me. Right. So, um, just tell our listeners what um, what kind of research you do, and what's your focus within cosmology and physics. So, my group at San, uh, UC San Diego builds telescopes that we take to strange places, either the bottom of the world, the top of the world, and mountains. We take it to Antarctica, we take them into space, <clears throat> and these telescopes don't see visible light. They see invisible light in the form of heat, and the specific type of heat or light that we're looking for is the afterglow of the fiery furnace of creation itself. So the universe's Big Bang was a very inhospitable moment, uh, at least if we could have been there, and the heat left over is called the cosmic microwave background radiation. And it uh, is a signature of the Big Bang. It's the oldest fossil light there is in the entire universe. Yeah, so um, you guys are old school, basically, in your uh, in your research. Okay, all right. So we'll get back to a little more directly what you guys do. But this is a Philip K. Dick podcast, and I know you're not a huge um, PKD is not your style of science fiction. However. Well, it might be. I just, I just, I haven't, I haven't read, I haven't had the time to, to read it. I think I might after this interview. <laughs> right. Um, we recommend a scanner darkly is a good yes. place to start. Yes. But, um, so, uh, PKD dealt with a lot of issues, um, that are, you know, we always talk about his wackadoo science. And yes, he does, he does a lot of science that is not very close to real. But what he does talk about a lot is multiverses. And there is growing science um, from when he first started writing about the concepts of multiverse in the 60s. And there's more that we understand about the multiverse. Can you explain to our listeners some of the science behind the theories of multiverses? Yeah, well, first of all, what is the multiverse? So the multiverse is a scientific 
um, hypothesis that holds that just as there are we know there are multiple planets in our solar system. We know that there are other stars. We even know that there are other planets just like the Earth around other stars just like the sun. Uh, we know that there are other galaxies, and we know that those galaxies have the same 100 billion or maybe trillion stars and planets in them that our galaxy does. Uh, so when you add up all the numbers, you start to think there's huge amounts of potential uh, other worlds, not unlike our own, but then they could also extrapolate and continue to extrapolate and say, well, maybe our universe is just one of many universes, maybe a, maybe a hundred universes, maybe a million, maybe a billion, maybe an infinite number of universes. And the collection, the superset of all universes is now known as the multiverse. So it's strictly a hypothesis in that we can't physically access another universe. And these universes can be separated either in space or in time or in space and in time. And that's what makes it such a fascinating conjecture and linked to my research inextricably through the connection between what's known as the, the theory of cosmic inflation, which is the uh, really the power source behind the expanding universe, the Big Bang itself. So you guys are measuring how the, 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 the universe is expanding or yeah. from, from the Big Bang, and that's how you can – is there something about that expansion that – is a key towards the theory of the multiverse or looking yeah, towards the absolutely yeah so so without the expanding universe uh we would not uh really be able to understand why we exist because matter is gravitationally attractive and while there's antimatter that can destroy matter and it does in science fiction uh plot devices throughout the canon of scientific uh, non science fiction literature. Nevertheless, there's no anti-gravity even for antimatter. So two, two anti-protons fall into the gravitational field of the Earth at the same rate as two protons. So the fact is that gravity is only attractive. Uh, but the existence of matter in the universe that's, that's separated from other matter suggests that there's some force keeping them apart. And that force uh, seems to be driving the universe and causing the universe to expand at an ever-increasing rate, and that's called the uh, accelerating universe or the dark energy um, uh, scenario. And that uh, energy that is almost science fiction-like because it's sort of it has this anti-energetic, anti-gravity property to it, but it only affects the largest scales in the universe. Uh, nevertheless, if you re run the movie of the universe uh, history backwards in, in time, you would see that everything in the universe was once compressed, clumped together in a potentially infinitesimal speck of a point and that point we call the big bang and what actually caused the universe to initiate its expansion right after the big bang is called inflation so we are looking actively for inflation so the logical kind of uh, leaps that you must make are that the um, if the universe began with inflation then there is a multiverse according to most scientists that work in this field because time and space are both stretching. Do they stretch at different, or do they inflate at different rates at different parts of the universe? Yeah. That's a very good question. I think you, you missed your calling. You should be in, in, my, in my lab and at UCSD. Exactly. So, in fact, if the universe didn't expand at different rates at different places, then we, according to top minds in cosmology, we would not be having this conversation because what ends up happening is that the differing amounts of expansion lead to um, over densities or under densities in the fabric of space-time itself. 
So later on, what will happen is that ordinary matter that we're made of, protons, neutrons, croutons, in my case, um, that they all agglomerate together in the places where the density of the of this inflating field was higher. Um, and so, depending on when that actually occurs, you can get uh, you can get over densities of ordinary matter, and then those later ignited to form galaxies, stars, and galaxies, and eventually planets and people. Well, and so. Uh, PKD writes a lot about these variations in the different universes. So he he proposes, for example, he wrote a novel called Man in the High Castle, which was his big award-winning novel, and it proposes another universe where uh, Japan and Germany had won World War II. Uh, and yes. yeah, these are science fiction concepts, obviously. But um, – these overlapping universes, is this something that maybe one day through this type of research we might be able to detect um, variation? Absolutely, yeah. So there is there is a notion that uh, that the universe can be detected, its, it's, it's counterpart universe could be detected uh, via the signature of a collision with that universe. So I, I give a – people can look up Brian Keating, Ted X talk – and they can see I do a demonstration of what it would mean for the universes to come together and collide and what kind of imprints you might see if such a, a phenomenon were observed. And then the logical extrapolation or the inference would be that there are multiple universes. If you ask some people, though, the odds of ever seeing that, you know, some some people say, well, it's just a matter of time before we see it. But I always point out, you know, cosmologists think in terms of billions of years. So, you know, if I tell you to wait a, wait a little while, that could be, you know, a couple hundred million years, give or take. Right, right. So um, in one of the interviews of yours that I watched, you talked about how studying these earliest moments of the universe is almost like a conversation with God. Mm. And uh, for those who are familiar with PKD, um, he really believed that he had um, – he wrote this novel called Vallis, which was almost autobiographical. And we know right. that he has some – uh, shall we say tenuous moments with sanity? Um, <laughs> and he believed that he was in direct communication with this vast active living intelligence system that he called Valis. And he wrote this book right. about it. Yeah. But, um, do you believe that in, in a way your research is, is communicating with some kind of higher power by looking at those first earliest moments of the universe? Do you think of those that in spiritual terms is what I was wondering? Well, I think that they're naturally related together, the concepts of the origin of the universe. I mean, the Bible, which is, you know, the most familiar uh, religious text to me, at least, you know, it doesn't begin with some abstract laws of or even the Ten Commandments, but it begins with the origin of the universe. And so there's always been this connection between the theory of origin, you know, probably since, you know, Og and Gog, you know, walked out of a cave, you know, 10,000, 100,000 years ago. It's natural to wonder where you come from and then origin stories uh, and, you know, kind of connect naturally. Uh, and sometimes in science fiction, they go through to, you know, heroes journeys, a hero of a thousand faces um, kind of trajectories as, as it does in the Bible and, and in other cases. But um, but to me, you know, they're naturally related because they're both the most mysterious things you could ever possibly study. I mean, if you think if you think about them and you, and you actually give, you know, give religion a chance at least you know to to actually debate it on some of the on the fruit that it produces maybe not treat it as a science book of course but you say look well what does it do for humanity um i think that's important i think it has a place 
And the amount of cosmology in the Bible is pretty low. <laughs> so I guess I guess for me, I like to study. I like to solve puzzles. I like to solve mysteries. Um, and and you know, I probably start on more than I have time to finish. But to me, they're both the question of the existence of God and the question of the existence of the multiverse. They're both you know kind of separate but equal in terms of their vast mysteriousness to me. Right. Well, and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because the multiverse is such a huge and long-running theme in Philip K. Dick's books, mm -hmm. but I think that a lot of his fans don't really understand the science behind it. Um, I'm a big space nerd, so I listen to tons of astronomy podcasts, yeah. and that's where I learn a lot of it, but I've tried and tried and tried to get some of my friends that are into, into Dick, um, the author, uh, to, uh, to check out these themes of the multiverse and the expanded things. And eventually I also want to have a neuroscientist on because he does a lot of things about yeah. what's real in your mind. And so right. eventually we'll do that too. But, um, but l just one last thing on the multiverse and then we'll talk about your book. Um, the, what kind of effect are, are the multiverses colliding all the time and we just don't see it? Or is this, is this something that, that people should be worried about? The concept of like this happening in our space? Yeah. So, uh, it, it's, so anything can go in a multiverse. So they can be colliding so far away that we can't see them. They might collide with our universe, but in such a distant time. You know, there's no evidence for it currently occurring. So yes, it could. They could. Universes can come into and out of existence, uh, all times infinitely extending into the future. So it is possible that universes can come into and out of existence. But in those universes, you know, with an infinity is a pretty big number. You know, especially you know when you get to the last digit of infinity, um, which you know, which I can't tell you what that digit is. But uh, but in any case. There is such a large number of universes that there are universes where, you know, Philip K. Dick is interviewing you and, and you know, or interviewing me and you're the cosmologist. So, I mean, there's very, there's very... Um, I would have know, to be much better at math in that universe. <laughs> so, yeah, so in, 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 to answer your question, yes, there could be a universe coming into and out of existence, colliding with each other and forming all sorts of crazy fireworks at the boundaries and the interstices. Um uh, of the of these universes, so I got to go in a couple of minutes. Um, okay, yeah, let's get to your book real quick, and yeah. um, yeah, and thank you for taking time to talk to us today. I know you're a busy guy, um, and yeah. we're really proud of uh, the work that you're doing here in San Diego. That's really neat. So, yeah, so your book is called "Losing the Nobel Prize." Why would you write a book about not winning the Nobel Prize? Yeah, so it's a it's a how to guide on um, how to lose a Nobel Prize. No, it's uh, it's it's actually more of a self help book than I intended. Uh, it's part memoir, part story of cosmology, part uh, exploration of what it means to be a scientist, and then uh, partially it's sort of a, a little bit of a polemic, a light, gentle uh, polemic about uh, the effects that the Nobel Prize is having on science and, and importantly on scientists. 
And so it recounts my story, my encounter with the Nobel Prize in two different ways. One, creating an experiment that eventually led to a discovery that was predicted to win a Nobel Prize the day we made the announcement. Um, and being, you know, kind of the leading vote getter amongst uh, scientists in the running for that particular Nobel Prize in 2014, 2015, uh, only to have it literally slip away into the dust of the cosmic uh, dustbin, which is our galaxy, which contains the remnants of exploded, failed stars and, and all sorts of other dirty bits. Um, and uh, and so our discovery vanished into the dust. And then not soon after that uh, that event, I was actually asked by the Swedish Royal Academy of Sciences, the organization that uh, awards and selects Nobel Prizes each year, to nominate the winners of the next year's Nobel Prize. So, you know, imagine you invite, uh, you know, somebody on your podcast and they turn you down and they say, no, actually, can you can you tell me, you know, about a really good podcast that can be on? It was it was kind of embarrassing, kind of humiliating. Right. And, um so what I had to do is is look long and hard as an academic, as a scholar, at what did Alfred Nobel intend, the inventor of dynamite that, you know, he was called the merchant of death for the number of, of deaths he was indirectly responsible for. Um, and so I wanted to confront, you know, what his what his wishes were with what this Nobel committee had done. And the Nobel Prize kind of like society's last great sacred cow. It, it, it has such a, an, an allure, a golden allure to it. And actually, I found a lot of shocking things to it that I describe in the book that Alfred would be rolling around in his grave if he were buried, but he was cremated. So he's dust himself. Oh, wow. Well, hey, Brian, I really appreciate uh, giving us a few minutes of your time. I hope that uh, the the dickheads understand multiverses better than they did uh, 15 (laughs) minutes ago. And uh, um, I really uh, hope to talk to you again in the future. I'll see you around at events in San Diego. Um, Yeah. Go visit my website and uh, sign up. I do a lot of talks, public lectures, and we have the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human uh, Human Imagination here. So you guys and your listeners uh, are welcome to attend our events. So look them up online. And they do a really great podcast through UCSD. It's, I think, the only one put on by the University of California, right? That's right. Yeah, very good. That's, that's exactly right. Well, thanks, Dave. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Bye-bye.